Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead better where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. On the Leadership File, we've often considered the importance of discipleship. The command to make disciples is, after all, the one Jesus left his disciples. But many church leaders focus their attention on the early months of a new convert's walk with Christ. It is, of course, a lifelong process, involving some maturing to the point where those discipled become involved in disciple-making too. This week we're considering how we help the whole church to engage in growing so that new believers make appropriate steps and mature believers develop their own ministry. To discuss this, I'm joined by Hugo Anson, the co-founder and director of the Grassroots Trust, based in Farnham, Surrey, with projects all over the world. Hugo and I have written a Kindle book we hope will help churches tackle the issue of discipleship. So welcome back to Leadership File, Hugo. Hello. Lovely to be with you, Andy. Thank uh, you for having me. Well, great. Well, it's you've been on the show a few times. Just to remind listeners when I said Grassroots Trust, what that includes. <laughs> well, uh, Grassroots was set up when we planted a couple of churches in North London. There was uh, a whole series of things which the Lord seemed to lead us into doing, which included working in Tenerife with a, a centre in the club scene there and going into Tanzania and sponsoring children and church planting uh, and similar projects in um, Kenya and India and Romania. But also we spent quite a bit of time wandering around the UK, just opening up the word of God and sharing with church leaders, that kind of thing. So um, many churches would have discipleship language in their stated aims of their church, if they have a mission statement or whatever. In practice, they assume this is taken care of by regular church services and small group ministry. So what additional thinking do you you think needs to be done in the whole area of discipleship? Well, thank you, Andy. It's it's great that we're we're together on this because we've, as you know, that we've written this book. And part of the book is it it, it starts slightly... um, in an area where people would be uh, maybe slightly threatened because what we suggest right at the beginning is that people only achieve things they intend to achieve and uh, so for example you know blessed is they uh, is he who ends, uh, aims at nothing because he will surely hit it yes <laughs> uh, so uh, one of the things that i think i've discovered in my life is that church leaders often aim to have a really good sunday service and so they often have a really good sunday service but they may not aim to make disciples, and as a result, don't often make disciples. There are, I mean, there are, there are churches in the UK that are really out to make disciples, uh, and as a result of that, they are making disciples. But others, well, and let's put it another way, uh, I've found that whatever people count, they normally do better at. So, for example, if, if you're a, a good Baptist church and you're counting the number of members that you've got, then you'll find that you end up with more members. They may not be disciples, but they will be members. Uh, if you're counting the amount of money that comes in in your collections, you'll get more money in your collections probably, but you might not make disciples. But Jesus in Matthew 28 made it quite clear that the primary aim of the church, there's lots of other things that go on in the body of Christ, there's lots of things which uh, that God is interested in because he wants his kingdom to come into the whole of life, but the primary aim that of his group of disciples, which we call the church, is to make disciples, because those disciples will then go on and do all the other stuff in the world. And therefore, I think it is worth us asking simple questions like, uh, you know, to any church that we meet or Christian ministry meet, how many disciples 
have you made? And if you ask that question, you often look at the people in front of you and they go slightly panicked because the moment you ask that question, they're asking, well, how do I know I've made a disciple? Uh, what is a disciple? Can a disciple have been made? And most significantly, well, it, even if I've answered all those questions, how many have we made? Have we actually made any <laughs> at all? And, uh, and I'm not talking about converts. You know, we, you know, an evangelist can always count the number of people who come forward at the end of his meeting and pray a prayer and, and fill in the form and those kind of things. Uh, that, that's just the beginning of a process. The question which I'm interested in uh, and I think is significant in this, is, um, you know, as a Christian ministry or as a local church, uh, and I don't believe it's an individual thing, I think it's something we do together as the church, how many disciples in the last five years have we made? Jesus, we know, made uh, 12 apostles, but there seems to have been about 120 disciples made in the, th in the three years of his ministry on earth. He then went uh, and put his body into another dimension of some kind and sent his Holy Spirit and commanded us to make disciples uh, as we go about on the earth and that, therefore that's what we should be about. Brilliant. Now, uh, can you give us some examples of, of discipleship in action? Well, obviously I was made a disciple at one point uh, but I, I've been a church leader uh, and as a local church leader uh, the, you know, it's nice to have people turn up and it's nice to do all those things, but we have made a deliberate decision to try and help people become disciples. We, we've also got a project in Tenerife where at one point we had lots of people coming into the centre. They were people working in the club scene, in the Tenerife scene, and they would come into the centre. They would like us. They would like us a lot. They'd, they, they'd say that we were wonderful. They'd say the atmosphere was great, that, you know, you could feel God here. But if you asked how many of them had become believers and sorted their life out it was very few we then put a lot of effort into both prayer and uh, specific programs to make it possible for them to take the next step and the next step and the next step in their christian faith and, and when when it was clear that you know some of them were people involved in drugs and that kind of thing uh, that it, it was not good enough for us, us as a church to say you know follow jesus and kind of shout it at them from a pulpit we we had to make it possible in terms of small groups or even halfway houses where they could go and live in order to bring the discipline into their life that they needed in order to walk with jesus in order to have the relationships with christians uh who could show them how to do it and walk it through with them on a day-by-day -day basis and get them doing it with them and then get them doing it by themselves and then get them doing it with other people and once we started seeing those programs put in place in partnership with the local church over in Tenerife, we started seeing one person after another make real commitments to Christ and then take leaps and bounds forward to the point where they were no longer part of those that we were doing it to, if you like, but they were with us uh, serving Jesus. And they were, I think we could honestly say they had become disciples of Jesus themselves. Some people seem very nervous about any attempts to kind of measure discipleship. I, I, I hinted at the start that, you know, most churches kind of assume it's happening because they're being faithful in preaching and and know people in the small groups are, are studying the bible so they kind of would assume that over a period of time so anyone in that environment uh, will imbibe the right stuff and will start walking with christ in a in the right way um but you're you seem to be describing something a bit more intentional uh, definitely intentional the, uh, i mean ofsted in schools 
does a, a thing which teachers and pupils don't always like, which it asks the question, how are you doing? And how, how have you done on this measurement? How have you done on that measurement? Now, it, it does matter that you get the measurements correct. You know, the things that people should be measuring shouldn't be the number of people who walk up and down a corridor. Uh, the things that you measure should be uh, how people develop in the way, you know, sometimes exams are a bad way of measuring whether somebody actually understands something. There might be better ways to understand things. There might be better ways of measuring things. But one of the things that the human race has discovered is if you measure it, it's likely that the people involved will begin to live in some way by that measurement. And that actually motivates them. It motivates them to achieve. There are days when if the pressure is done wrong and the, the measuring is done wrong, but it, it's actually a very bad thing. We even see that in the Bible. You see uh, uh, David being uh, and the people of Israel being judged for counting the number of soldiers. And I mean, there's lots of theologians who discuss why he was judged for that. Uh, so there can be a bad side. But the positive side is that on the whole, if you have something that you're trying to do, which Jesus clearly told us to make disciples, it is reasonable to ask the question, how many disciples have you made? Uh, and how, what, what is the quality of your disciples? And I, I find that quite interesting when I ask that to maybe a leadership team of a local church. The look on people's faces is one of, don't ask me that question, I don't really want to answer it, rather than, well, this is what we're about, so this is the answer. So it, it almost yeah it almost needs some kind of Christ, Christian style Ofsted. Um, <laughs> to, to, you know. I think I think you know, we we joke about throwing a Christian style Ofsted, <laughs> but the, the essence of it is simply saying yeah. to people, and I, we've done this. You and I, Andy, we've sat down with leadership teams and asked the question. Mm. So we know we've got to make disciples. So how many disciples do you think you've made in the last five years? And you say that to a group of leaders in a church. If, if they are being an effective church, they'll stay. Uh, but but it, it, does, it, it is a bit of a scary question, isn't it? That if actually the answer is none, or even minus 10, <laughs> people have walked away from God, then, then the question is, are we doing church right? And I think that it is reasonable to ask the question, are you doing church right, if that's what's happening? Uh, it may be that you're still doing really well, you're just in a really bad season. Uh, you know, maybe the pressure of society and, and culture around you is, is drawing people away and you're struggling. But, but the parable of the sower does give the impression that you should have some who bear fruit 60-fold and 100-fold, not just a whole bunch of people who had the seed sown on the rock. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, underpinning our attempts at discipleship is the importance of prayer, and the work of the Holy Spirit. So you're you're making certain assumptions when you're coming to this, obviously, in terms of I mean, the, the assumption we're making is that that is part of the process, not just underpinning it, mm. praying for people, working with people, relating to people, teaching, uh, teaching both in relationship, teaching possibly from a platform, the the whole styles and structures of of the way we do church or the way we do ministry in some project, aimed to. Uh, work out where people are with their relationship with God in their discipleship and take them from there to the next stage. Well, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Hugo Anson. Uh, Hugo's uh, the co-founder and director of the Grassroots Trust, and uh, together with him I have uh, written a book, uh, a Kindle book, to help churches tackle the issue of discipleship. We'll be back just after this. 
Well, welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Hugo Anson. We're, we're talking about the issue of discipleship. Uh, as it happens, Hugo and I have uh, put together a, a Kindle book called uh, the, Disciple, the Disciple Factory, um, returning the church to its original vision. And uh, we're going to talk in the second section a little bit more about some of the elements of the book, having kind of set things up earlier uh, in, the, in the conversation before the break about uh, uh, the importance of discipleship and um, particularly the importance of, of kind of measuring or assessing uh, how we as churches are helping to grow people uh, in the way that Jesus has commanded in, uh, in Matthew 28. So, so Hugo, in the, in the book we talk uh, about churches needing to think about the different categories of people. Um, what we've called the saved, sorted, sent, and supported. <laughs> so yes, perhaps well, you could categories are nasty, aren't they? We yes, don't indeed. Like categories. We, no, no. <laughs> but but you know, if if we said to to um, that there is a process that we can go through in order to become a disciple of Jesus, and that once we have become a disciple of Jesus, and I think it's reasonable from Scripture to say that although the business of being a disciple is lifelong. The business of becoming a disciple of Jesus is something that can have a beginning and an end. The apostles, uh, when they were being spoken to in Matthew 28, I think it would be reasonable to say that they were now disciples of Jesus. They weren't perfect, but they were disciples of Jesus. So there's a process of making disciples, which Jesus went through, where he met them uh, as unbelievers, helped them become believers, and then got them sorted out in their relationships to some degree and then sent them in ministry. And then once they had been sent, they, they lived in a structure of church life and, and relationship where they were supported in their ministry and went off in different directions. So in a slightly pejorative sense, we have put those four different words there to say that someone who has not yet become a believer in Jesus needs to be saved. That once they've become a believer, they need to be in some way sorted out in their walk with God uh, that once they have got some elements of being sorted out with their walk with God, they need to find out where they're meant to be giving that into the world. And some of these things will, will not happen in the exact order that we're suggesting. And once they're clearly giving what they have from God into the world, in other words, they've been sent, uh, then there needs to be some way that the church deliberately feels that is supporting them in what they're doing. And, it, and we're not just talking about people who are traveling around the world preaching I'm saying that whatever God call upon someone's life to being sent into the world to bring grace into the world um, they need to be supported in that because the, the spiritual life is is involved in everything because God it's not like we've got God stuff which is church stuff and and not God stuff which is the rest every part of life where Christians are have, have a feeling that they've been sent by God is a place where they're meant to bring God's kingdom in and so one of the concerns is, of course, that our folk can know clearly that they're what they would call converted. They're, they're part of the church. They, they kind of listen to sermons regularly, participate in worship. But they kind of a lot of folk get stuck in that in that place. Uh, and then they either stagnate or they um, yeah. maybe something happens. There's an event or something happens in their life which gives them a deeper sense of God's presence or whatever. But the sad thing is that there are a lot of folk who who kind of almost in a holding pattern <laughs> um you know between the saved and sorted and and maybe there's a you know they're battling with a few things and and never seems to get sorted and so there's never a sense that they're sent anywhere because they never feel comfortable and confident enough 
um, uh, with their walk with Christ to, to minister to others. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that, I mean, part of what we say in the book is why don't you as a church use in some way these categories, say sorted, uh, sorted sent and supported, and ask your people where they feel are feel they personally are on the continuum. Not not just um, you know tell people, but let them say. Well, I, I feel I'm not yet a believer. You know, so I probably need to be saved. You don't need to use the same terminology. Uh, there are lots of, when, as we've started talking about this with church leaders. A number of church leaders use this kind of thing, but they don't necessarily call it saved, sought, and sent. And in some ways, we're using those terms because they're they're so so bad that people will have to think of different ones <laughs> yes. but but in the context of the book it it explains the the principle of saying that if you're not a believer then it might be a good idea to join a course in the life of the church a program in the life of the church which helps people become believers but if you're definitely a believer and you know the presence of jesus in your life but you feel like you've got lots of moral issues that are a problem or you've got lots of um, thinking issues. You just don't understand stuff and it doesn't make sense to you at the moment. But you, in other words, you need to be sorted out. Then why not join a course that helps you do that? If actually you're saying, no, I'm, I am a believer and I, I'm genuinely sorted out and I'm sitting in a pew and I'm wondering what am I meant to do with this? You know, I, I'm just literally going to work, coming back. I don't see a, a sense in which I've been sent by God to do anything, either in the life of the church or in the society at large. And I, I feel that I'm, I'm ready to be sent, but all I'm doing is listening to the same stuff going round again. Then why not join a, a group where we're deliberately asking the question, how can you be sent? You know, what is it God is saying to you? Which part of God's purpose in history is your call? And that group will not be the same as the saved group. It will be a group of people who are already saved and sorted and are now questioning where they're meant to be sent. And actually, of course, at that point, many local churches would go, well, you're going to be sent either to the children's work, or you're going to be sent to be an elder, or you're going to be sent to be run a home group. But I don't think that's what the Bible really teaches. It might well mean that they're sent out of that congregation to somewhere else, not just as a missionary, but into work, into a school, to work as a teacher. Uh, in, you know, there, there, there'll be all sorts of different answers to that question. Now, again, there'll be some people who feel they really know what God has called them to do and they're doing it and then the question is how do they know uh, how does the church work with them now they could be called to go back in and help one of the previous groups but they could also be called to not do that because they're serving so much in the rest of the world and then the church needs to have structures to say you're already somebody who's saved sorted and sent you're a disciple of Jesus now we need uh, you know maybe a peer group of people who get together and are deliberately supporting each other in their sentness from the church and the church is therefore standing with them and praying over them as as God is sending them into the ministry that they're being sent into. I think we wrote it better in the book, probably. It's worth buying. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, a lot of churches would, would assume that a lot of this stuff happens in, in classic small groups. And, and yet, yeah. yet the small groups tend to be a mixture. Sometimes they're arranged geographically. Sometimes they're just arranged almost randomly according to relationships. But you... You tend in, a, in the average small group to have people at all different stages of their walk with Christ, some of whom are very mature believers, some of whom have, have recently come to faith or are still even struggling and, and asking questions. 
and 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 what you seem to be saying is that maybe that the small group is not the best place for all those things to happen, even though they can do some good things. Well, well, you know, in the local church that I go to, I belong to a small group, and I think there's a basic assumption that everybody's already saved, sorted, and sent, and we're just trying to support. Now, that's fine if that's true, but you only need to have a few conversations with the individuals concerned, and you come to the conclusion that it can't be true. Uh, and that many of them would benefit a great deal from a deliberate decision to go back a couple of stages and get sorted out, or go back a couple of stages and ask the question, in what way am I spent? Uh, and therefore, the, the business of actually separating people a bit along those lines makes sense. More than that, I would say that if um, the local church has, you know, th there are many things that are, are done in society that are that a God working in society. I think in many ways the local church's main purpose uh, is to make disciples. We need to have times of worship together, we need to have times of fellowship, but its main purpose is to make disciples. So I think it is reasonable to say, how are you doing on that? And don't default to the assumption that what you've got is a group of disciples uh, and therefore fail to make any. Yeah. And and sometimes the, the the lack of energy, enthusiasm, motivation, is is the, it, within the church and church leaders will know this very well, is because actually some of these foundations have not been put in place. And you're you're trying to you know the equivalent of of driving a car without petrol. There's no the fuel of the Holy Spirit is 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 not released because the person's not yet quite engaged with God at that way in that way. They, you know they they like church and they like what they do, but they're not quite uh, quite on track. And, uh, but more than that is that on the whole people uh, experience the power of God's Holy Spirit working through them and even sorting them out not by sitting still and listening to someone talk or even being in a room where they discuss issues on the whole you do that by doing something and walk, walk you know, some people more than others because there are different types of people but there was, there was a point when we were leading a local church in North London and I felt the Lord speak to me and say, you need to build a boat. Uh, I don't know if you know, but in, in, in French, to say build a boat is the same as our pulling a leg. So I didn't quite know what God was saying. And a little bit later, I looked up the word boat in a, uh, a concordance just to see where it turned up in Scripture. And it turned up over and over and over again throughout the Gospels whenever Jesus was making disciples. He basically put the people, put the people he was making disciples of in a boat and took them somewhere to do ministry or to see him doing ministry. And uh, at that point I realized that asking people to come and sit and listen to me talk to them, which of course isn't what church is meant to be about, but it's sometimes default to being that, isn't the way to make disciples. There is a place where you've got to put them in a boat and take them somewhere and uh, create some kind of space where they can't necessarily escape and the pressure of God's presence comes to work around them and they begin to work out who they are and they work out the relationship with the other people and certainly in my experience that of making disciples we've seen so kind of leaps and bounds in people's lives going forward as people have committed themselves to going on short trips and various other things like that or actually just getting involved in ministry together which doesn't necessarily need to be away. It could actually be running something locally. But in that context where they've been reaching out together as a team, there's been a, 
a real st sense in which those people have started to seek God and pray and uh, see breakthrough. And Daniel Cousins, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he, he used to run a thing called the Walk of a Thousand Men. And a lot of this um, project was to go from pub to pub and share the gospel in a pub. And one of the things he, would, he used to say quite often was, uh, as you walk up to, a, to the next pub, he would turn to somebody who he felt needed to increase their prayer life. And he'd say, when we get into that pub, you're going to be speaking for five minutes and sharing your testimony and asking these people to consider Jesus. And he said, the moment I said that to, to them, they suddenly started praying in a way they hadn't been praying before. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, sometimes if you just say, we want to teach you about prayer, here's a seminar on prayer. We're going to go through the Lord's Prayer again, like all the other books about that subject. It, it, it leaves people just kind of like the Dead Sea. They have continuous input, but no output, and they become stagnant water. Yeah. Uh, but, but once there is a, a sense in which people are both receiving and giving, that's the place where disciple-making happens. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Hugo, so much. Um, we've just got time to uh, mention the, the title of the book, uh, Disciple Factory, Returning the Church to Its Original Design. How can people get a copy? I believe you have to go to the Kindle store on the Amazon website and you have to t type in Disciple Factory and I believe that it costs less than a price of a coffee, certainly in some of the coffee shops you can buy coffee from these days. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's ridiculously cheap in that sense and it's, um, you know, the book hopes to assist church leaders in their thinking about these things. I mean, it's not prescriptive, it's not a manual as such. Uh, but it does unpack some of the issues and questions that we've been discussing in this uh, conversation. So thank you, Hugo, so much. And uh, do thank you uh, to, to you as listeners for um, being uh, part of this show. Do uh, tune in next uh, Sunday at 3.30 for another Leadership File. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.